Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello. 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 Hey, we are the Equity Young Members Committee, and this is the Young Members Podcast. Welcome. Each episode, we're going to be talking about something different. Something different. Something different. We'll talk about something different. To do with our union, our industry, and all the people in it. Made by equity members. For equity members. Happy listening. In this episode, Michelle Ashton from the Equity Young Members Committee talks to Alice Brockway, the founder of Playing Sane. Okay, uh, so hi Alice, uh, thanks for Hello. talking to me. My pleasure. So do you just want to tell us a little bit about Playing Sane and how the idea came about? Yeah, of course. So I, I'm an actor, I trained <laughs> years ago and <laughs> I, I've lived with uh, mental health issues my whole life and I developed arthritis when I was 26 as well, which caused an, a... It's now a permanent disability, invisible uh, health issues. Mm -hmm. About, what would it be, about four years ago, the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester was doing some work on engagement with actors with disabilities. So I went along, actually because of the arthritis and because of the way that had altered my my career. And I rapidly realised that the mental health aspect wasn't being addressed. I realised that we were talking about disability, but mental health difficulties weren't in there. And it wasn't because people were being uh, difficult about it. It was just that there wasn't really anything. Now, in my kind of bigger life, I have uh, lived experience around severe and enduring mental health issues, really quite complex, high level needs. So I am very aware that mental health issues can become disabling. Yeah. They really can. And so, yeah, I, I just was having conversations and I went, well, I'm going to go and do some homework and find out what we know about actors and mental health. And I kind of went, we don't know much, do we? <laughs> There's really not much there. So I had a conversation with Manchester School of Theatre, because I'm based in Manchester. Yeah. And they sort of went, oh, that's a PhD. Here you go, that's how you apply. And five months later, my application was in. And now I'm doing That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was really, it was a a massive gear change. And it all happened, you know, it normally takes a year or two to put together a PhD. Mm -hmm. So it came together very fast. Um, But yeah, so that's how I ended up doing research. That's why I ended up doing research. What I wanted to do then was do something industry and public facing because research can be very dry. It can be very 
difficult for people to incorporate yeah. into practice. And for me, this is all about changing practice. It's all about making our industry better for us and for each other. So Plain Sane originally was just going to be a website where I kind of talked about a few things, got some people to speak. What rapidly happened is people started saying, will you come and do a talk? Will you do this? <laughs> uh, are you running workshops? So it then I talked to a former student of mine who's a high-level CBT practitioner. She's my fellow director in Playing Sane. We have another person who comes in sometimes to help with the accounts and things <laughs> like that. So it's now a not-for-profit company, a CIC, and we're just sort of, we're taking it very slow because we don't want to duplicate services that are already there yeah you've got some organizations doing phenomenal work and we don't see any point in doing the same thing over and over again so we're focusing on looking at evidence bases looking at sort of more formal research that we can then support organizations like equity Mm -hmm. to do things like lobbying changing contracts changing procedures maybe even changing legislation so that's sort of who we are, what we do, and why we do it. Okay, great. So do you know, like roughly how many people you've been able to to reach through, you know, the website and the organization? It's in the thousands. It's a, because we, we're multifaceted, mm-hmm. it's not always easy to tell. We, yeah. We reach at least a few hundred every month on the website. We have a good few hundred followers on Twitter. We are on Facebook and Instagram as well. And, but it's also about us attending events. I go to, I I do a lot of engagement with an organization called Triple C who run a disabled artist network. So I talk about it there a lot. I come to equity events and talk about it. So we've reached out certainly a good few thousand people I would love to do more. I I feel like outreach is a challenge at the minute because we're unfunded. Yeah. So we rely on volunteer time and on any donations we get. So things like creating promotional material, creating, um, doing adverts to promote well-being, those sorts of things aren't really an option at the minute, which we would like to address going forward and we are looking at. So yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do a lot more. And we'd like to do a lot more in collaboration with organisations like Equity and Spotlight and Mandy.com. You know, people who have a real impact on our industry yeah yeah absolutely and I think it was really interesting what you said about um us us not addressing the the mental health side of you know of of our business and not really seeing that as because I mean I've had a lot of mental health issues myself in the past Mm -hmm. and I think we tend to you know brush over them it's seen as not being part of you know like you're you're going to be seen as unreliable or difficult or you know volatile um, I yeah I, I hear that a lot I hear that an awful lot and unfortunately I don't think it's entirely unjustified mm. I um, listened to the I think it was Harry from the talk community I don't know if you've engaged if you've ever been to their peer support groups they're wonderful but Harry was talking about uh, actually discussing with an actor who had been turfed off contract yeah because they disclose mental health issues. Now that is illegal mm-hmm. and there's a lot the union can do about that, but it doesn't change the fact that it happened and that people yeah. still think that's an acceptable thing to do. 
And that does terrify people. You know, mm -hmm. living with complex mental health problems is challenging enough yeah. without being terrified that people are going to use it against you. Mm -hmm. I actually think that our, the stigma in our industry is some of the worst that I've come across. Yeah. And I think it's a knotty thing to solve. And the reason I'm coming at it, the, well, one of the reasons I'm coming at it the way I do is because I think if we can build it more into our systems if we can recognize it at an institutional level at a national level actually that backs up the work that people like talk like industry minds like the MTA are doing mm -hmm. some really really good work but it gives it it sort of brings it from both ends because yeah. at the moment, a lot of the reliance for changing stigma is on actors and performers and uh, stage managers and directors feeling safe to talk about it. And I just don't think people do. And I think there's good reasons for that. Yeah. Which have to be addressed if we want to improve the situation. And I think it is a thing, not just in the acting world, but in the general population as well. Because um, like, according to the mental health charity Mind, I looked up one in four people, and that's just in England will experience a mental health problem of some kind every year so I mean I don't know do you think that actors are more or less affected by that or do you think it is you know through the general population I don't think we know the answer to that and that was one of the things that really surprised me when I started looking at this work is how little is actually being done on actors and on a lot of sections in our pop in our mm -hmm. industry. We don't know anything about directors or casting directors and their yeah. mental health. We don't know anything about makeup artists or camera people. Uh, very, very, very little, which is deeply worrying, particularly yeah. and coming from an acting background. As an actor, you spend your life working with emotions. You spend your life working with thought processes. The idea that we haven't really looked at what that's doing to mental health just seems insane to me. I mean, yeah. that, that's just a really odd thing. But actually, the numbers aren't there. The numbers really aren't there. There's a, a really good bit of work that was done in Australia called the Australian Actors Wellbeing Survey, I think was it. <laughs> it was the full title. <laughs> One um, of those we, long names. Yeah, one of the. Um, it's a really good piece of work, but it's very country specific. Mm -hmm. And some of the things they're talking about are the cultures in Australia. So, of course, it gives us a good idea where to start, but yeah. it doesn't really tell us much about our country. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, there's also the fact that statistics around mental health are really difficult to gather. So the one in four statistic, if you look at the um, Mental Health Foundation, they tend to use one in six per week. Okay, that's interesting. That's the statistic they use. And the reasons for that are things like the way mental health is defined, whether people, whether you're working with diagnostics or, you know, hospital admissions, mm -hmm. whether you're asking people to say what they think they've got that it all changes how you view it so yeah it's really quite a messy picture that we don't really know we don't really know <laughs> basically <laughs> what we do know and that so it's not complete there are there are some things out there we know that there are relationships between high creativity and mental distress now whether that's 
you know, an interesting one is that if you work in a creative field, you're much more likely to have a first degree relative, so a parent or a sibling who has schizophrenia. Wow. Which is a, a funny one. So that suggests that there's some kind of relationship in how the brains work. We also know that you can have, you talk about creatives, but if you break that into subgroups, actually you get quite different problems and experiences and quite different uh, behaviors. So one of the things that I'm very, very cautious of is for example, looking at work that talks about performers. Yeah. Because performers is a hugely broad group and we already know that they have different experiences and have different difficulties. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm very careful of sort of saying, well, this work was done on musicians, therefore it will translate to actors. Actually, in my in my opinion, the evidence suggests that that's not true. Yeah, that you can't make that assumption. So we do have some information, but there's an awful lot of gaps. <laughs> very, very, it's it's been a funny thing for me over the last two because I'm doing my PhD part time, so it's going to take six years. Yeah, and <laughs> um, so I'm. Over the last two years, one of the conversations that I've been having over and over again is how do you address that? Where do you even begin when there's such little work on this mm -hmm. population? So for research purposes, we would call actors a population. Where do you even start when we have no idea? You know, <laughs> I... I <laughs> When I started this, I fully expected to be going sort of straight into procedures, sort of what do we do in the rehearsal room? What do we do? What's in the training that we do? How is it impacting? But no, I'm starting with how many people actually have difficulties? How many people? <laughs> what are we actually dealing with? The, the last thing I will say on this is there is always a danger when you sort of say one in four or one in six, that we forget that just like everyone has physical health, everyone has mental health. And just like everyone will get a cough or a cold and everyone will sprain an ankle at some point, we will all have periods that if you went to a doctor could be diagnosed as a mental health issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, we do need to start talking about, you know, these experiences. If you want to call them mental illness, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Some people don't like that term. Some people talk about different experiences or you know there, there's a lot of different ways of talking about it we need to be clear that it is something everyone experiences it's not just those people over there who are in the one in four we all get it from time to time to a greater or lesser degree and we all need to attend to it and to make sure that it doesn't escalate into something really dangerous yeah you know mental health distress mental distress mental illness however you want to characterize it it kills it can kill people and at the heart of what i'm doing is the knowledge that we're not talking just about making people feel a bit better we're not talking about something touchy-feely and oh you know poor you you're having a bad, bad time which i think there is that hovering in our industry mm. these are things that can lead to death and that is not something you take lightly. That is not something you do carelessly. The reason I really want evidence, I want what I want to know, not because I particularly like wading through statistics, you know, I don't know anyone <laughs> who likes doing that, but because I don't want a single one of my colleagues to die for no good reason. I do not ever want that to happen. And if I can do anything to 
make it better and to improve that and to make it less likely that we lose another performer, another comedian, another uh, whoever. I, I want to help that because, I, you know, it, it, there's just no reason for it. We can do better. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I think that um, we are starting to shift as a culture. And, you know, I know that from my experiences, I've had some really, you know, good workplaces and some workplaces that were really just not, you know, that have, and I think because we have this show must go on culture, that we don't take into account people's, you know, sometimes even people's physical health, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as, as well as, as well as their mental health. Not that, and and I mean, I would say one, you know, can definitely, that they do impact on each other. Yeah, definitely. Oh no, physical and mental health are quite, I mean, we know they're much more closely related than sort of uh, 20 years ago we talked about the mind body divide the brain body divide most people now would say that that's redundant yeah that that we know that they interact i think the show must go on attitude is something that we really do have to address the show must go on attitude comes about i mean i'm sure you've had this i remember doing open air theater with rain coming down the set for oh yeah been there the audience (laughs) over a dog in the audience you know what do we do that is where the show must go on is that's what it's about it's about someone's just got sick you have to do that you need to do this you just keep going because if you've ever done a show which has been pulled what I I remember doing a show we literally there was no physical way we could do it Mm -hmm. and we had because it was so last minute we had to tell the audience as they were arriving and you doing something like that you understand the role that this work has in people's lives and why it's important that is what the show must go on is for Mm -hmm. It's not to beat people over the head and say, you are not allowed to be human. You are not allowed to have a bad day. You are not allowed to get sick, which is actually, in my opinion, very much how it has become used. And I think equity has a huge role to play in that. I feel like, I mean, I graduated in 2006. So I've been around the industry professionally for 14 years and sort of working, doing other things prior to that. 
I feel like there's a, been a progressive disempowerment of our workforce. There's been this progressive, and I, I think to a degree it's always been there, but I feel mm. like it has got worse, certainly in the last 10 years, where we are sort of told to be as passive as we can possibly be. Just stand there and do what you're told. And we are skilled workers. We are skilled workers with professional training, professional experience, with a set of tools that actually not anybody can do. Yeah. I teach acting. I know that not anybody can do it. <laughs> um, what this idea that we are replaceable is that if someone is weak or difficult, they yeah. can just be got rid of. As a union, we really have to address that. We really have to address that because it is deeply damaging. It's a deeply damaging attitude to have to any workforce. But for a creative workforce, it opens the gate to discrimination, to really poor treatment in terms of workplace experiences. So in terms of physical environment and contracts and so on and so forth. And I kind of feel like, weirdly, the pandemic and the catastrophe that we are currently witnessing can also be seen to give us an opportunity to rebuild better. Okay, that's 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 really interesting that you've yeah. you know brought up the the COVID pandemic because it is it's having such a big impact on you know, all creative workers in, in especially yeah. those in in theatre. Have you yeah. had like an increase in demand during lockdown, and you know how how has that worked for you? So what we, we paused for a little while and what we did is in response to what we were seeing, we created a small service to help pick up people being missed by other services where what we do is you self-refer to us as long as you are, a, uh, because playing sane is actors, their colleagues or carers, as long as you are an actor, a colleague to an actor or a carer to an actor, you can come in and we will match you up with a freelance mental health professional and they are high level professionals we've got volunteering and you will get up to three hours free support to deal with that so and we have had people take up on that we could still take more people and we intend to keep running it until the crisis has abated a bit so that is there if people want to use it we we want it there because there are quite a few other services running for our industry at the minute mm -hmm. But we also know that some people do get missed or they don't yeah. fit criteria. So we wanted to offer something specifically designed to fill in that gap, something that people could access rapidly. They can get, you know, I literally, it's me checking the referrals. So if you contact, you will get an email from me saying, I've got your message. I'm contacting the volunteers now. We will get you linked up with someone as quickly as possible. The volunteers, including my colleague, my fellow director, they're all high level NHS professionals. And um, I'm very fussy about who I let, <laughs> let loose on and things right, like Rightly so. <laughs> oh yes. And I, I, this was a discussion I had in Bristol about the fact that there is a danger when we look at mental health in that you've got the big organizations the Royal College of Psychiatrists 
the British Psychological Association and so on and so forth. Um, but unfortunately, you also got to get a lot of people who've done, I've done a two-day counselling course, so I'm a counsellor, and yeah. they're not. <laughs> they're no. really not. Um, there's a they're lot just of... online. I see them advertised all the time, like, become a counsellor. And I'm like, really? You, you think that's supposed to qualify you somehow? Yeah, no, 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 it doesn't. Good. There are good courses which introduce counselling in a yeah. day or two and sort of say, this is just giving you a taste of what it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but a proper counselling or therapeutic, I mean, to become a clinical psychologist, it's the equivalent of doing a PhD. Yeah. You do as much training as you would do to become a doctor. Quite rightly so. <laughs> Quite <laughs> rightly so. I'm very protective of who I let loose on anyone who comes to talk to me. Um, because the other thing that you see a lot is people using life coaches as therapists. And it's yeah. a different discipline. It's a di- there's overlap, but they are different. Um, so yeah, so that's been our response. And w- as I say, we've gone out. I've made a point of going to meetings and talking to people and letting people know. I've been taking part in the talk sessions as much as I physically can. And just kind of reaching out to the industry and saying you are not on your own in this yeah this is chaos it's chaos (laughs) for everybody we will get through it the shape of things at the other end is entirely up for discussion yeah but we will and there will be an industry at the other end of it we just have to support each other Mm -hmm. through this yeah Yeah. there there is I mean, because I, uh, I, you, you posted something uh, on, on Facebook, I think, about that there will always be people who have the need to create. It's just how are we going to support that in, you know, in the future when yeah. uh, when all this is is over. Um, mm-hmm. But as um, being part of uh, the Young Members Committee, this is our uh, focus on, on young members. Yes. Um, and there's been some research done by the TUC. That's the uh, Trade Union Congress, which is just for anyone who I, doesn't I can know, never remember whether it's Congress or Council or <laughs> yeah so yeah. so each trade union will have its own council yeah um depending on when this goes out we may still be having the the council elections uh so if you're please vote members, it's yes, important vote vote vote, vote, vote. <laughs> um because this is how you you know shape the future of your union so each yeah. trade union will have its own council made up of members to you know make decisions in how we're going to move forwards and change things um so the trade union congress yeah. is the coming together of all of those unions so equity ourselves plus any of the other creative unions you know back to musicians union um, and all of the big other industrial unions um mm-hmm. you know such as unite and gmb um all coming together to try and see what you know how we can improve conditions for workers in general and they have done some research this is for workers aged 25 and under and they make up 13% of those in employment across all industries mm. which isn't a huge number uh, however 37% uh, of those are working in the accommodation and food industry and a quarter are working in the arts so that's yeah. you know over 50% of uh, people 25 and under are in the two industries that have been hit the hardest yeah. by this pandemic and it's a bit of a you know a, a bit of a double whammy for a lot of actors or you know other people working in theatre is that we often rely on food and hospitality as our backup job as our way that we earn money uh, mm. when we're not in employment in 
uh, acting and things like that. Absolutely. So have you got any advice for how you can try and take care of your mental health under what is, you know, let's be honest, it's pretty bleak circumstances. No, it is. And I don't think it's helpful to sugarcoat it either, because yeah. I think what you can end up doing is people can end up feeling blamed for, for struggling yeah. if you sugarcoat it. And actually, there is nothing to sugarcoat here. It, it's a terrible situation. And I, you know, I, I had a friend graduate from Manchester School of Theatre this year and I, I just want to give him a big hug. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I think first and foremost do all the basics. Try and eat well, try and sleep well, try and keep in touch with people, try and get outside, do all the real the real basics. I was chatting to Caroline who is my fellow director uh, yesterday and she was sort of saying it's very easy to miss the basics when you are struggling. Yeah. And yeah. simple things like uh, if you've ever come across the big five uh, ways to well-being, there's an article on Playing Sane about it if, if people want to take a look. But it's things like being mindful. Yeah. So if you can do two minutes mindfulness a day, it's things like learning, keeping learning. So and it doesn't have to be to do with work. Mm -hmm. And in fact, for our sector, for artists, personally, I would say your identity as an artist, which is really embedded for us I think you get it across all industries where people identify with their work yeah. but I think for artists for creatives it's exaggerated it, we you particularly actors and performers who use our identity mm -hmm. in our work there is a real blurring of your work and you so at times like this that can be incredibly disruptive and damaging I remember when I became after I spent a year and a half on crutches and I couldn't do me yeah and it was really really confusing so what I would say to people is attend to the parts of you that aren't about work and you can do that whilst also sub specifically supporting your well-being so attend to things like creating something that you aren't going to use as a performer you know do I do cross stitch I do cross stitch or make cards. You could take a car apart. You could learn how to cook a new meal. And it's making sure that you are you and that you have a space to be you regardless of work. And actually, this is something I feel young performers in particular are often not advised to do. You're told to do, make it all about it, to never say yeah. no, to do everything all the time, which is problematic in an industry where most of us don't work most of the time. <laughs> it, it means that our sense of self, our values, our the things that give us meaning are often at the beholden of someone else's ideas of what should happen. And we have to, now more than ever, we really have to look after that. So think about things like, why do you perform in the first place? So for me, I perform because I love to communicate. I love to talk to people. I love to share things with people how can I do that in a situation like this that's a challenge to myself but it also means I can keep being me without having to rely on a circumstance that is brutal right now I mean brutal next level <laughs> five levels up type of thing yeah 
And <laughs> I would say also know that this is not the end. It's a crappy beginning and I don't <laughs> envy you and I'm sorry, I wish I could make it better. But if you are 25, you could quite realistically be performing for another 50 years. The yeah. industry being rubbish, for the next three or four or five isn't the end. As my old tutor used to say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. This is the beginning of your journey, not the end of it. If you take five years out, if you went off and did something else for five years and came back, you will be able to do that. There you know are what, people who do that. That's really valuable. Because I yeah. um, I think the most valuable thing that I did was a couple of years after, I mean, I graduated in 2010. Mm. Um, and a couple of years after, I took a year out. I didn't act for a year. Um, I spent six months teaching English in China. And actually just giving myself a life outside mm. you know one of the other members of the young members committee was saying the other day how on her first professional job some of the older actors she was really surprised that they all just went home to their kids at the weekend and you know they had a life outside of acting yeah. <laughs> you know yeah something judy dench I read from Judy Dench, she said, the thing you have to realise about acting is acting, there's more to life than acting. Yeah. And I think a lot of young performers are taught the polar opposite. Yeah. And it's really not helpful. It's really not helpful. And like you, I mean, I had to, I spent a year and a half on crutches, not knowing what to do. And then a couple of years after that, I had a very serious mental health episode and I had to take a break then. And it does change your career. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't yeah. when things like that happen. It does change what you're doing but these things always change no like three people on the planet get the career that they expected and dreamed of <laughs> but you if you know at the core why you do this if you know how it fulfills your values and your needs then you can come back to it it will be there as you just said, I, I posted on Facebook the other day, I have this utter faith in the arts to recover because I don't believe you can kill art. I think the need to express, the need to communicate, the need to create is fundamental to people. Absolutely. It is a absolutely core human need. So it will come back. It might not be the shape we recognise. It will be something different, but change is a part of creation change and development is part of what we do so embrace it know that there might be a pause and there might be a pause but it will come back it will be there might not be in the form you've got now but it will be there there will be things you can do be ready for it keep yourself well keep yourself healthy so that when it comes back when that opportunity knocks and it will opportunities will knock again <laughs> you are ready because that is the best thing you can be healthy happy confident and well so that when those things happen you can do it yeah. that's what we need from particularly our young performers because in in a few years time we are going to need you we are really, really going to need you. And um, much more than you're going to need someone like me. The, you know, the young performers drive so much of what we do, particularly in life work. So, you know, particularly if you talk about musical theatre and dance, yeah. anything physical, we, the young performers are absolutely critical to it. So keep yourselves well, keep yourselves healthy physically and mentally and be ready because we will need you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my advice great thank you thank you very much uh, for talking to me today uh, that's Alice Brockaway from Playing Sane 
To find out more about Alice's work and how to seek support, visit playingsane.org. You can also call Equity's dedicated 24-7 mental health and wellbeing helpline on 0800-917-6470. Be sure to have your Equity number to hand when you call. Thanks for listening to the Young Members Podcast. Made by the Equity Young Members Committee. Follow us at Equity YMC. See you next time. Bye. 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 Goodbye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>